Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. All right, we're back and going right to the phones. And joining us, one of our favorite contributors. He joins us every week at this time, Mr. Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? Well, you know, that warm weather, you know I'm an avid ice fisherman. And I loved ice angling, and I was it's been part of my repertoire for decades. But we got that warm weather in January this year. And even though many great ice fishing opportunities are still existing out there, I am moved on and I want to take my boat out or at least I want to walk the shore and catch some big trout. So I know you're going to talk to us about both opportunities. I mean, that's it, Terry. You know, I, we, like we, you know, we run the, the ice addiction tournament series. Obviously ice is uh, one of the biggest parts of my career and business of anything. And in January, you know, we had to move some events and we were very, uh, you know, very concerned about not having much of a winter. Um, and I'll tell you what, Mother Nature is all about ice fishing this year. It does not want to leave. I mean, we, uh, you know, we, we all are part of social media, and we get all these little videos and reminders on our phone. And I've been hit up so far with, like, eight years of little memories on Facebook of opening night at Chatfield. You know, we're, we're big night fishermen, and generally speaking, dang near every year, we're on our boats on March 1st night fishing for giant pre-spawn walleyes, and I keep seeing these pictures. And uh, this year is one of those kind of remarkable years where we're actually catching pre-spawn walleyes through the ice, which uh, is an opportunity that does not exist that often. And it's, uh, I mean, again, even though we have some some nicer days, I would not say that, uh, that the ice is leaving anytime soon. And it's not that we have crazy thick ice almost anywhere. You know, 11 mile is thinner ice than normal. Terry all is a little thinner than normal. But it's not going anywhere because all the insulation from the snow above. So uh, it's definitely a lingering winter, and we're kind of uh, planning our entire season. You know, I had almost 25 guided trips scheduled for March for, for open water walleyes, and we're uh, we're doing some massive schedule changes and, and things like that. But uh, the ice isn't here and uh there's no doubt we're taking advantage of why it's here we have some uh some incredible bites this week it was i mean we had we had an amazing day for giant lake trout you know fish over 20 pounds i had a lot of opportunity on kokanee at 11 mile we had a lot of great pike days so the walleye are going strong so if you are an ice angler and you're not burned out of it yet um i would say this has probably been the best two weeks of ice fishing i've had definitely this year and if not in the past four or five years combined uh just in the last two weeks so the bites are existing if you want to get out there no i couldn't agree more and i don't want to be negative because i love ice fishing and there's some great <laughs> opportunities let's talk a little bit about some individual places and we'll come here and get what your prognosis is going forward here first of all we do have a lot of tremendous ice fishing opportunities still in the mountains they've been getting a a lot of snow has that caused any issues nate you know you definitely got to be uh, got to be on top of it you know i think the more so than anything you, you can't see so as we get into spring um you know where you start getting some of that softer ice it's really hard to judge the ice because you have snow on top of it so that's probably the number one thing 
to be cautious. Now, as Denver gets a snowstorm tonight, you know, the guys are still ice-fishing Sapphire and Toad Creek and Aurora. Um, you know, you got to be super cautious because before where you could look and find the springs and find the, you know, the somewhat darker-looking ice and you could find, you know, visually see some things. The visual is always the best way to do it, but it gives you a heads up, and now we can't really do that with the snow. So here's a lot of caution. I think the other big thing is it's causing for some more physical activity. Um, you know, a lot of places like Williams Fork does not allow – um, you know, snowmobiles and things like that. That makes for a very long walking process, and it can get very physical. Um, the Kokanee Salmon Bite at 11 Mile, like I said, if you're on top of it, you have the, the jigging machines for the flashers, and you know where the schools are going to be, you can catch limits of Kokanee in an hour. It, it's absolutely incredible how good the bite is. But you're probably walking, um, you know, maybe a half mile um, at, a, at a far stretch, maybe a quarter mile if you're really, you know, getting right on the edge of the channels. Um, but when you have having a lot of snow on the ice, it makes it for a very physical and somewhat limited access. So, you know, we're, we're starting to, to look at the gear we bring. You know, we're, we're throwing a hub-style shelter on a small sled instead of maybe bringing a trap-style shelter. And you're doing a lot of stuff like that to, to accommodate the conditions. Um, but with that being said, again, the, the bite's incredible. It's worth getting out there. And sometimes even that darker snow um, you know, can, can make the fish, you know, change up their habits a little bit. Right now we have some oxygen coming into the lakes as we get some spring runoff per se, um, you know, in dark conditions, it's really making for, like I said, a good bite. Um, you know, and if I had to pick right now, I would say, you know, hands down for me the pike and the kokanee are probably my two favorite bites in the last two weeks, just because it, it's just incredible. We're getting so many opportunities at big pike and then the numbers of kokanee are phenomenal. So those bites you can't be, you know, can't miss, but we're also getting big, you know, spawning rainbows in shallow water that through the ice. And again, just incredible. And then obviously pre-spawn walleyes. I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's impossible. You know, a lot of guys don't see big walleyes. And when we say big, say a 28, 30 inch walleye through the ice. It's just hard to, to catch them here in Colorado. We have so much food, you're relying on reaction baits. We just don't see a lot of those giant fish come out through the ice. And as those fish right now are in the, the final stages of pre-spawn, uh, we're literally going to start spawning here in the next week or two, um, we're seeing those opportunities of those real big fish through the ice. So, again, opportunities that, you know, if you're willing to, to go out there and pursue that, um, there's some opportunity at some very large fish. So it's hard to, to select which bites you want to try to capitalize on right now. Well, and I want to talk a little bit about what's going on and what we might see coming up. One of the things we're going to talk about, you know, the spring, and I will get into more in depth on this in a minute. We love spring fishing because it produces some of the biggest fish of the year without question. It also produces some of the most off-and-on conditions where you can be fishing all day for two or three bites, but they can be 30-inch fish, or you can... Uh, get the numbers of small male walleyes bunched up and catch 100 fish, but they're gone the next day. We'll get back to that in a minute. I want to hit on the spring trout. I had told you a few weeks ago that I was going to post a Denver Post column of mine that you and I actually did last year on spring trout uh, in the Front Range lakes because these Front Range lakes grow huge, huge trout. And as this ice recedes, we're going to see those trout. Now, you're talking about the rainbows getting agitated, getting close to shore, receding water. I think it's time to get that article out there and people to be aware that you don't need a boat to go capture these big spring trout, do you? You definitely do not. I mean, that's the biggest thing. And 
you know, it, you have two effects right now on those big rainbows. Number one, you have the spawn effect. So you're going to see big fish showing up at all your inlets, anywhere where you have flowing water. So you know, like Chatfield, your inlets there, Horsetooth, all your inlets. Even Cherry Creek's got some big trout showing up at your inlets. Probably the sneaker of all the trout fishers is Pueblo. You know, people hear Pueblo and they instantly think walleye and bass. And then maybe you, you go a step further and you think crappies or catfish. But I very rarely hear people talking about trout at Pueblo. And you have so many rivers that flow in there. You start hitting those, those inlet areas at Pueblo, and literally you have just as good a chance at a, at a high 20-inch, you know, 10-pound trout there as you do at some of the best of the mountain lakes. Um, so all these front range focus points are, are majorly in those, those flow areas. But you also can't, you can't kind of overthink where these fish were stocked. So, you know, just like any of these fisheries, almost all the boat ramps where you have sand and concrete, you see these big fish showing up to spawn on those, those sites. Well, um, they're implanted. They're implanted there. That's I mean, where... that's it. It's like Chatfield, the north boat ramp. They literally spawn on the concrete. So you can go on the ice right now or as it opens up into water. And you can fish literally on the concrete and catch giant rainbows. It's incredible. Well, the second largest rainbow I ever caught came at Pueblo on a rattle trap bass fishing. And, and, yep, and, yep. and I've, caught, I've caught trout pushing 30 inches in Colorado. So this was no tiny fish, okay? Yep. So there are some big fewer. Absolutely right. And it's going to start happening right now. Is, is, is Some of the smaller lakes, a lot of the smaller lakes were heavily stocked also last fall, thinking they would get a lot of ice fishing. You get places like St. Varane Ponds. There's been virtually almost no ice fishing because ice is there, it's gone. It's there, it's gone. few days people yep. get out. They get heavily stocked. Those fish have had all winter to grow under the ice. You're going to have 10, 12, 14-inch rainbows, and you're going to have a lot of them in some of these places in the up and down the front range. Before we run out of time, the other thing I really want to touch on is what do you think is going to happen with the walleyes? Now, they're going to start doing the spawn next week at Pueblo, they had planned on starting to pick the spawning fish at Cherry Creek and Chatfield that same time. I don't think there's any way that's possible right now. Um, we had one year, I remember, 15, 20 years ago, where the walleyes actually spawned under the ice. Now, both from a fishing and collecting the spawn perspective, where, what do you think will happen? What are you seeing? You know, I, I started seeing our males becoming extremely loose with their spawn matter in January at Chatfield. And I got to say, I spent more time on the ice at Chatfield than I have at Cherry Creek this year just because that bite has been so incredible. So I've been at Chatfield for the most part. And I can say, you know, I mean, obviously the males are, generally speaking, almost always ready drastically early. Um, but I would say that the, the males are following their same spawn rate, from what I can tell, um, from the past three years. I would say the past three years, our walleyes have spawned dramatically earlier than normal because we had an ice off in January a few years back. And that kind of started a real early cycle for us at Chatfield. Um, it's caused some issues with, you know, division netting and things like that. So our fish are going early. Our females that I've caught, I've caught females across the board now. I've caught females that are extremely loose and ready and i've caught them extremely green um so i would say that our females are kind of a mixed batch right now so it's hard to say but i would say that definitely we're going to see a a good portion of our fish spawn under the ice and or you know what we you consider that gray season where it's not quite ice not quite open water but i would say that we are seeing fish i mean I, i'm seeing fish leaving their feeding grounds right now to head to the spawn site 
So I literally, I've been seeing pre-spawn fish for, you know, about a week and a half now. And the females showed up about a week ago feeding heavily. And I am now seeing those females retreat. Uh, generally speaking, when you watch those females retreat, um, it's, it's pretty much go time. Now, they're not saying they're going to instantly spawn, but the females are leaving their, their pre-spawn feeding areas. They're staging in that deeper water. Um, and when they stage in that deeper water, it's almost a nightly ritual that they slide in shallow. They kind of see if things are right, and then they, you know, they either spawn or they slide out to that deeper water or they stage again. Uh, but we definitely have females right now in a pre-spawn state as well as a staging state. Um, so I would say it's definitely going. Now, I do think that the ice will, will slow some of those patterns down. So I, I think that we will definitely see the ice, you know, prolong the spawn per se and, and slow down on some fish. But I definitely think we have enough fish that are ready that we will see, you know, those fish trying to go through that spawn process, um, you know, right now through the ice. So it, it's definitely going to be a, a mixed bag and kind of a mixed year for sure. Because, um, you know, I mean, obviously open water is a major portion with the oxygen to a wall and spawning, you know, rituals per se. But it also is not the, the major key component. I mean, many places around the country, these fish, you know, spawn and do their entire process under an ice cap. So, again, generally speaking, I would say we're definitely going to start seeing those fish doing so. Um, I think it will will slow down the other half. I I got a couple of things I want to hit on for that and get your thoughts on. Um, And one is that hopefully, you know, first of all, all fish don't spawn at the same time. Hopefully the take at Pueblo will be really good and that there'll be enough fish spawning after ice out that Parks and Wildlife will be able to gather the eggs they need because it's so critical to perpetuating the great wildlife fishing we have. All we can do is kind of hang on, and we probably won't know till middle of April or more what's going on with that. So we'll have to hold on for that. The other thing is that we always talk about the walleyes in Colorado spawning on the dams. And the reason they do that is you get a little wave washing. They get used to spawning on those dams. You get rip-rap gravel. There is, in every one of the lakes that has a major inflow, Chatfield, Pueblo, there are a number of fish that do try to spawn in the rivers. Now, they're not as successful because you don't have the substrate, but fishermen can be successful. That water is opening up. Shore fishermen are going to have a crack almost probably right now or very soon at big walleyes at those inlets, don't you think? A hundred percent, Terry. And I mean, I can tell you that at least at Chatfield, I would say we're probably seeing literally 10 to 15% more fish every year utilizing the inlets. And that's both Plum Creek, the South Platte, Deer Creek um, every year. And it's becoming, you know, you take that 10 to 15% over the last three years where it's really been bumped up. Um, we're seeing dramatically more fish every year stacking up into those inlets. So it's a, it's a major number at some of the bodies of water that you're seeing this. Um, again, I, it's, it's one of those things that I'd say I, I study and watch. So we're definitely seeing more fish. Now, the kicker to that is probably the, the number one area where we see these fish running up the river is at Chatfield. With that said, there is extremely limited access this year due to the construction. So on both sides, getting on the west side of the park through the Wadsworth entrance or coming through on the what we call the southeast corner of the park off the Plum Creek side um, off Titan Road is limited as well due to construction. So if you choose to want to try to fish the Chatfield Inlet for both those big rainbows and those big walleyes, 
um, you're going to have quite the, the hike ahead of you. Uh, so just kind of keep that in mind for anglers out there seeking that at Chatfield that have done it for the last couple of years, targeted both those species in the inlet. Um, it's going to be a much harder hike and, and activity to get in there just due to that parking. But I definitely think in all the bodies of water, you're going to see some of those, those bigger fish, especially the bigger females, really utilizing that runoff um, as it comes into the lake as we get those warmer days. That's a major area to seek. And, you know, in a lot of these bodies of water, you can probably fish the inlet a month, even six weeks before the guys on boats are going to get a crack at them. Um, Again, I don't see any hope of a chat field opening to boating, you know, probably before April 5th, 6th. I keep hearing people talking about, you know, opening days being the third week of March, but I mean, there's a lot of ice out there. And again, even on, even on the warmest days, you know, warm wind, rain, the ultimate conditions to wreck ice, um, Ice doesn't go away as quick as people think it does. Um, so I think we have a, a lot of uh, lot of ice and a major delayed boating season ahead of us on the front range on some of these bodies of water. Um, so, again, I think this, the shore angling for walleyes, they're definitely pre-spawn, and even the spawning fish is definitely going to be an activity from shore long before it will be an opportunity from the boat. Nate, we got to go. We're over time, but it's, we're going to supposedly get a snowstorm tonight. So fishing the next few days is going to be tough just to get around. We're supposed to warm up at the end of the week, back in the 40s and 50s. If you were heading out Thursday, Friday, Saturday next week, what one or two places would you plan on hitting? People need to hit the coconut. need to hit the pike. Get out of the bubble. Do it. Grab yourself a tip-up. Put a whole sucker on. Hand lining a 20-pound pike through the ice is one of the, the greatest experience you'll ever have as an angler. So go old school. Learn about tip-ups. Fish dead suckers. Um, you'll have a great time. Also, think about that kokanee bite. Our kokanee population is hit or miss, unfortunately. And right now, while we have mass, mass quantities of kokanee feeding, hit that kokanee bite at 11 mile. You'll love it. All right. How do they get a hold of you? Go to tightlineoutdoors.com. We'd love to get you out on the ice. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. Nate Zielinski, always a great resource. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're actually going to talk to the Walleye Club and a bunch of events they have coming up in just a week or two right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, and we are going to go right to the phones. And joining us from the Colorado Walleye Association is is Kev, Kevin Gearing. Good morning, Kevin. Sorry, that here. was my fault. The control room will blame me, but I'm going to blame them even though it was my fault. All right. <laughs> All right. We'll, 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 we'll stay to that. That's, That's fine. That. Hey, you're with the Colorado Wallet Association. You're one of the directors of the Northern Chapter, and you've got some events coming up in just a... Uh, in just a, about a week, we want to tell people about. Everybody who listens know how I feel about the affinity groups. I think they're so, so important to our outdoor industry, and the Walleye Club is no exception. I've been heavily involved, actually, with the club off and on since its inception in the early 90s. Tom Bruno, a good friend of mine, professional walleye trail angler and guide, was actually one of the founders. So tell us a little bit about what's going on with Colorado Walleye Association right now, Kevin. Well, the Colorado Walleye Association, um, we have, uh, we're actually uh, have a new direction for the association, and uh, we're going to be participating a lot in uh, various events, and these are volunteer youth programs, um, also uh, expos and uh, various other things to get the awareness out there to the people that... um, even though you know we strictly go for walleye, but we're also we also go after other species and stuff like that. So 
we're an organization that likes to go out and, and work with people and train them and show them some of the techniques and stuff like that that we have to use on these uh, Colorado waters. Now, when you, with the Colorado Wildlife Association, you've always been very family-oriented, and you're very good about getting people out. You not only have tournaments. For somebody who wants to dip their toe in the tournament situation, it's a great way to get out and experience that. You know, regular contributors to this show, um, Brad Peterson and Charlie Black, have actually been team of the year with you guys, I think, two out of the last three years. And they're extremely proficient while anglers. So you can really polish your skills and compete against some good people without the commitment of maybe going on one of the more professional tours, which I really like. But I'm glad you mentioned the other things because you really do a lot to bring youth to the table. You do a lot for charities. You do a lot at a lot of nonprofit events to help other organizations. And that's such a great um, a great aspect of affinity clubs like the Walleye Association. But in order to do all those things, you need some fundraising and that you got a couple things coming up here. Let's talk first about next weekend, the banquet. And that's your main fundraiser. What'll go on at the banquet? Okay, what we have there is actually it's an expo and then a banquet afterwards. Yeah, I was gonna get into the expo after the banquet. Let's start okay. with the banquet. So the banquet there, um it's it's one of our major fundraisers where we uh, for a fee we provide a meal and we have social time and then we also present our awards for the previous year for all of our teams, team of the years, uh, big fish, youth big fish, uh, and uh, other types of uh, um, awards. And um, and then you, you do a lot of camaraderie and you do a lot of fundraising too, right? You have auctions and you have giveaways. Tell us about some of the things people might win or that you can bid on. Yes. So we will be having a silent auction and various raffles. And some of the items that we have are fishing rods, uh, depth finder, lures, and we have uh, six guided trips with um, various uh, <clears throat> pros here in Colorado. Uh, we also have tournament entry into our fishing walleye tournaments throughout the state. Tackle boxes, uh, a tackle pack, <clears throat> That was actually selected by Keith Cabayas, um, and much more other stuff is going to also be there. Now, prior to that banquet, now one of the great things about the banquet is you get to see what the Walleye Club's about, whether you want to be part of it. You rub elbows at a great dinner with members and see. And if you just want to be a tournament angler or if you want to join for the other aspects, that's an incredible way to check it out. But prior to that, on the same day, you're going to have an expo. It's going to have some of the top walleye anglers in this part of the country and in the country putting on seminars. Tell me about that. Yes, so we, well, we'll start off with Charlie Black and uh, Brad Peterson, who were the 2016-2018 CWA Team of the Year. And they'll be speaking on jig fishing. After that, we will have Austin Parr who is the manager of Discount Tackle, will be speaking about live bait fishing. And following him, we'll have Neil Wilkinson, who is a area fishing guide, will be speaking on short fishing. So I know many of us have boats, but we're also going to be talking about short fishing. So that uh, gives the opportunity to other um, families and stuff to get out and uh, you know, go ahead and uh, try out some of the techniques that we'll be talking about. And then I know after and, after those, you're going to have a panel where everybody will be answering questions, which will be a fantastic thing. And you're going to have a lot of vendors there, too, that people can see their wares. Tell us the timing of both these events and the cost. 
Okay, so it, it will begin at 12 o'clock noon, and it goes to about 4.30. And um, so what we will have, we will have some vendors there. Uh, Easy Casting, who has uh, spinner baits and gear, will be presenting some of their things and offering some product discounts. Uh, Riot Baits, who does a lot of the plastics, uh, spinning baits and also uh, gear will be presenting and uh, offering discounts. And then we also have Casking. Uh, I think this is the first year they're at the ISC, and uh, they'll be showing their rods, the reels, and some of their fishing line. So, and they'll also be providing discounts. Now, if somebody wants to come, we're going to run out of time. Where do they get information, and how much does it cost? Okay, the expo, the cost is uh, $20 and uh, $10 for CWA members. And uh, our information and tickets can be had from our Facebook uh, page of Colorado Walleye Association. And uh, the banquet, we have limited tickets available. And uh, those are going for $55 for a couple and $30 for an individual. And all so, and all that's on the Facebook page, you said? All that is posted up on our Facebook pages and the, the link to go ahead and buy the tickets for both, yes. All right, Kevin, we have to move on. Sorry to cut you short here, but go to the Facebook page, Colorado Walleye Station. Attend these events. The Expo is going to be a tremendous amount of information shared. And then, of course, you're going to have the uh, banquet after. It's a great place to come and see if you want to be a member of the Walleye Association and figure out what they do. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. You bet. That's the Colorado Walleye Station. Please check them out. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back. We're going to tell you about an RV that is extremely unique and may change the way you think about camping in Colorado. Right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We are going to go right to the phones. And joining us, I believe from Minnesota, we'll find out, is Kevin McGregor from Camp 365. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. So, How are you doing? Uh, well, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? You guys have had a brutal winter up there. Oh, my God. The snow it just keeps on piling, piling up. Yeah, I, I heard a bunch of my friends were stranded out on Mille Lacs. They couldn't get to their hut, and they couldn't get back. But let's let's talk about why you're calling. I teased in the last segment that you have a product that's new to the RV industry that I think will probably revolutionize the way a lot of people camp, and that's the Camp 365. I think you call it a cabin. Uh, it's something that's towable. For people who uh, can't see you on the radio, kind of describe it. Well, we always call it the world's first fold-out cabin uh, or the cabin that goes anywhere or everywhere. Uh, Camp 365 was designed and engineered for the West. We, um, we have a whole team of uh, serial entrepreneurs and geeky engineers that just put their lifeblood into this camper. And what came out was that it's an ultra-lightweight camper. It weighs under 1,500 pounds. You can pull it with uh, a Mini Cooper. You could pull it with a uh, UTV or an ATV. Uh, the, actually, the wheelbase um, expands um, and contracts down to under 50 inches, so it allows you to pull it with a lot of some of the smaller switchback trails, and you can pull with a small ATV or UTV uh, up in the mountains and get over on your favorite lake. One of the really cool um, uh, patented benches is how it levels out on 
uneven terrain. So you, know, you can picture your favorite lake, stream, reservoir. The camper it doesn't need class five gravel or level ground to level out. So you can level the camper out right on your favorite lake or stream, and, and it sets up in, in minutes. Now, we have one lake that's close. Well, it's about a three-hour drive from here. A lake McConaughey is a huge draw, and they allow camping along the shoreline. You can pull up anywhere on the shore. A lot of people won't pull their RVs out there because they're afraid they're getting them stuck. That wouldn't be the case with this, would it? No, not not at all. I mean, you can you can pull it. It's really lightweight, and you can pull it out. It sets up, but you can go to the website at camp365.com and see a lot of the pictures of us leveled out right on uh, right on the beach, um, on on incline, on hills, on rocks, on sand and mud, and it's it's a very easy system how to set up. We have a, um, a lot the whole camper and everything on it has been either patented or patent pending, and it it's made to be out on uneven terrain and it levels out in minutes, and it and it's so easy that. You know, even uh, Grandma Betty could set it up with a drink in her hand. Yeah, you called it Grandma Certified. I saw that. That was pretty cute. You know, I could see a lot of uses here. We have a lot of hunting up here that goes on at higher altitudes and things, and they'll take, they'll pitch their camp, but then they'll take their ATVs or UTVs up the trail and then walk in from there. With this uh, camper, they could pull it right up because of that. You push that wheelbase and or reduce that wheelbase, you could take it on an ATV trail where it's under 50 inches, right? Exactly. Yeah. We, uh, you know, and you've got four um, ATV, UTV companies that specifically made UTVs and ATVs to be under uh, 50 inches. And so the wheelbase goes out on the highway at nice and wide at 72 inches. But then when you want to contract it, it goes in under 50 inches. It allows you to get back into places that you weren't able to get before. Um, and it, when it when all set up, you know, it goes from very, very small. It can, it can easily tow it with just about any car, like I said, and you can, you can store it right in your garage. So, but when, when it unfolds, it gets huge. It ends up being about um, eight by 12, has seven foot tall ceilings and six, four on the outside. So you could, you could have the Denver Broncos offensive line standing in there and have a coach too. Yeah, I saw it storing in a garage. It gets so narrow and folds down that you can it doesn't even use a whole stall in a garage to store, so you don't have to worry if you have storage or homeowner issues or anything like that where you can't have the AT, your RV there, but yet that it fully expands out. What about weather conditions? Can I take it out when it's cold or is it got heating? Yeah, it's got it's got heat, it's got air conditioning, it's got refrigerator freezer, it's got a stove, it's got a um, a heating system in it. The heater in it's twelve thousand five hundred BTU. But one of the one of the our many inventions is how we um, insulate it. We call it our kind of our on-demand insulation system. There's no in the camper. There's nothing going to mold, mildew, rot. It's a steel uh, reinforced aluminum frame that we use all all composites. Um, and any of the old days of the old, you remember the old pop-ups and you've got that mold mildew smell, that's gone because it really, you're not going to have any issues with that. Um, and then when it's, uh, when it all, it's all unfolded, you get a nice heated insulated room when it gets really, really hot out, um, or really cold out, I should say. 
And then when it gets really cold out, even over here in Minnesota, we could be out with a polar vortex and it's 20 below zero and it's going to be fully 70 degrees in there. Now we're going to run out of time here real quick. So there's lots of things. I mean, you've got racks to carry kayaks. You've got special tires. If you need more ground clearance, you told me about the level assist. You can even put skis on it if you want to pull it across the snow. But if people want to see it, you're going to be in Denver at the RV show next weekend, which starts Thursday. So you're going to be there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and maybe Sunday, the RV show, that's down at the Stock Show Complex. Do you know where they'll be able to find you there? Yeah, we're at the National Western Complex. We'll be in uh, spot number one, number 127A. We're kind of right in the middle of the whole complex. And, you know, I'd you know, love just to have a lot of your listeners come on down, and we give you a great guided personal tour of Camp 365, and you could – your listeners could see a lot about what what all the buzz about and why we're coming all the way to Colorado. The downside is, though, a good friend of mine, Hall of Fame fisherman Steve Panaz, is going to be there too, right? He is. So yeah, people yeah, will yeah, have yeah, if they come to see it, they're going to have to probably talk to him. They they will, yeah, they they will, and you know he's 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 such a horrible guy, but no, now, you know what? Great... what? What a great what a great angler. I mean, I love Steve. He's a dear friend, Hall of Fame angler. He's a frequent contributor to this show. Folks, if you've heard Steve Panaz from Lake Commandos on here, he's a huge supporter of this product. He's going to be at the uh, RV show with these guys uh, next week, I think for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And just to go by and say Steve will be worth it, but you got to take a look at this RV. Tell them again, Kevin, how they find you on the website. Yeah, you go to you go to camp365.com, camp365.com, where you'll find it. Um, and also on there, you'll look in. You can see a lot of the, the areas of the press and uh, different articles and publicity we've gotten lately. And there's all kinds of videos and content in there that really gives you a good tour of everything about Camp 365. All right, and we'll see you down there. And tell Panaz I expect a couple tickets because I'm not paying to get in and see him. Yeah, he can't. He can't wait to see you. And he's a, he's a he, good reference for anybody that has ever. He's been in uh, the camper before and used it out in Nebraska. Just re, or actually, I shouldn't say Nebraska. Out um, out in the middle of Montana, just recently. Now, you know, Steve's and, uh, a great guy, and I first saw your product on his show. We got to run, Kevin, but we will see you out there probably or uh, middle of the week sometime next week. Thanks, Terry. Look forward to meeting you. You bet. That's Kevin from Camp 365. We'll take a quick time out. When we back, get back, Ronnie Castiglione is going to join us and talk about fishing the rivers in this weird weather we're having. On Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going right to the phones. And joining us, as he does every other week at this time, Ronnie Castiglione. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning, Mr. Terry Wickstrom. Now, now I understand there's not a lot of snow down in there, Denver, but I think we got four to five inches already up here. Although it is melting, Terry. Would, but, would uh, you run over to my house and shovel that before I get home? You know, if you drive slow enough, I think this snow might melt by the time you get here. And then the second batch will show up this night. Oh, thank, so, uh, thank you. Hey, I tell you what, it's like like we had thought we were having an early spring when we got into uh, January, and now it's a never-ending winter. And I, I tell you the truth, I moved on from ice fishing. I love to ice fish. And I want to open water fish. You've been kind of solving that problem by fishing the rivers, I understand. Yeah, Terry, and, you know, everybody's looking for open water, and we've been talking the last few times I've been on about, you know, timing the, timing the ice off and looking at some of the re- reservoirs in the lakes. But, 
you know, sometimes, and this year might be one of those years, the best open water you can get to the earliest happens to be the rivers a lot of the time. So, you know, maybe you're down south and you're looking at the Arkansas or you're somewhere on the Colorado or you're looking at the South Platte or you get up here by us and you're looking at the Big Thompson or the Poudre River. Uh, there's a lot of open water on those rivers right now. And over the next few weeks, uh, definitely the lower parts of the rivers are going to be opening up, Terry. So it's a good opportunity to get out. So how do you approach those, Ronnie? I'm, I mean, they're talking about rivers now. The ones you mentioned are mostly trout. We do have a few like Pueblo, uh, Arkansas below Pueblo that have some warm water species. But let's take the two by our house. How do you approach those? What kind of lures? What do you look for? Well, there's a few things. You know, we've talked in the past, and when we talked the last time I was on about utilizing things like gulp minnows on jig heads or small tube jigs or small jerk baits, things like that, Terry. And those are all excellent choices if you're going to get out and try to hit the hit the rivers this time of year. And pretty much any time of year, those will produce in the rivers. But, you know, I wanted to talk about some of the other options, some of the other ways that we go about catching fish on the rivers and kind of cover some of those. So, you know, an inline spinner, you know, it seems simple enough, and it's kind of a classic way of fishing trout in the river. But that is an excellent opportunity to get out and cover some water uh, you can definitely cover a lot of water with those inline spinners. They're, they're pretty simple to utilize. You just cast them out and reel them back and reel them fast enough that the blade spins and that kind of a thing. Uh, trout will absolutely jump all over those. You just may want to play with the size of the spinner that you're utilizing, maybe the weight, and maybe play with, uh, you know, if they have any trailers, feathers, and things like that hanging off of them. Those tend to be the things that we look at. So inline spinners are always an excellent choice from a, from the shore with a spinning rod looking for trout in the rivers. Uh, you know, some of the other things that we utilize a lot, Terry, we utilize a lot of hair jigs. So, um, you know, all winter long, a lot of us that uh, do cross over back and forth from fly fishing to conventional fishing and like that, we end up tying a bunch of flies and tying a bunch of jigs and things like that all winter long. Hair jigs are an excellent way to approach the rivers uh, pretty much all year long and especially early in the year, Terry. Uh, maybe it's a bucktail jig or something along those lines tied, tied with that kind of a hair. Maybe you're looking at a marabou jig or something like that, Terry. Uh, the hair jigs have a lot of action in them but they're also kind of small and subtle and so they're an excellent way to get out and target these fish the trout will absolutely jump all over those another one that we used to do a lot terry and it's an excellent thing to suggest for you know beginners and things like that we, we fish a lot of split shot, split shot rigs uh in the rivers this time of year and pretty much all through the summer as well terry so you know a split shot rig for for people who've never gone out and, and fished something like that we're fishing them on spinning gear and a lot of times we're using maybe four pound test six pound test floor carbon something like that we're taking maybe a bb size split shot terry and putting that on the line and putting that anywhere from six to maybe 12 inches above whatever presentation we're tying on for that split shot rig. Now, now a lot of times when I go to that split shot rig, Terry, it's because I'm utilizing flies that I've tied, but maybe it's a stretch of river or a real steep stretch or a stretch that's got a whole bunch of trees and bushes and things around it. So it's not really suitable for me to get out with a fly rod. You know, I can use that split shot rig on the spinning gear, Terry, and put that split shot above it and, and tie that uh, that woolly bugger or tie that little nymph, that stonefly nymph or something like that. It's an excellent way to approach the rivers, and it's a great way to get the kids to catch them on the rivers because it, it doesn't tend to snag a whole heck of a lot, Terry. Well, and then we're headed to a time period right now where people that just want to fish the rivers, um, there's a lot of artificial egg baits, but they make gulp and power bait eggs. I think BioBait makes an egg bait. Um, or you can get an egg-tied fly if it's a flies and lures only. And you take a split shot in that egg bait, and we're not going to be very far away where the 
rainbows will be spawning and the browns will be chasing them and eating those eggs. And it becomes a really effective presentation. It really does, Terry. And, and we don't talk a whole heck of a lot about fishing with bait when I call in, but I can tell you as a kid growing up in here in Colorado that it was very frequent that I'd be on the rivers and I would be utilizing night crawlers on that split shot rig, you know, breaking a night crawler or using a smaller worm, something like that. Uh, that's kind of a no-brainer way to get out there and catch the trout in the rivers. It's a great way to get the kids to catch them. Uh, the one thing about those presentations, Terry, when you're looking at fishing with something like a salmon egg or with a night crawler or, or things like that on the rivers, and Unless you're there to harvest the fish that you're catching, uh, the fish have a tendency to swallow those presentations quite a bit. So you got to really pay attention to what you're doing. A circle hook, a small circle hook, a lot of times maybe will keep those fish from swallowing those presentations, but they will absolutely eat the night crawler on the split shot rig. There's no doubt about it, Terry. Uh, You just want to be cautious about gut hooking a bunch of fish if you're planning on releasing them, Terry. Yeah, and I think part of that is if if you're not letting it sit and you're there setting the hook right away, that prevents a lot of that, too. You you don't want to just let it drift until it's gone and they take it. But they are tremendous, tremendous ways to fish and waste. And a lot of these can be used in uh, the lakes as the ice recedes too, Ronnie, these same these same techniques. I want to go back before I let you go. The inline spinner, it's such an easy, simple way to fish that I think it just doesn't get talked about and it's overlooked. That might be one of the best starting places for a spin fisherman on, for early trout on both rivers and lakes. Yeah, it really is, Terry. And one of the things you want to keep in mind, too, especially when you're approaching these rivers early in the year when the when the water's going to be real skinny, real low, and a lot of times the flows are real clear, it's important to be real stealthy in what you're doing. And uh, a lot of people that are new to this style of fishing don't grasp that. For the most part, Terry, if I'm fishing these rivers, you know, when I hike down to the river, I'm going to be fishing my way up the river, not fishing my way down the river. And that's important in a lot of scenarios. One of the big ones is the trout are looking upstream, Terry. So a lot of times you'll walk up to a pool and if you're walking down river uh, they'll spot you and they'll go swimming off and those fish will not bite a lot of the times the other thing is you end up doing a little bit of wading a lot of times when you're fishing the rivers and it's been my experience that you know the fish below me that i'm wading on top of a lot of times they don't want to bite but if you're working your way up to the stream as you're as you're fishing then it's not like you're stirring up a whole bunch of stuff and causing a lot of ruckus so being stealthy fishing your way up the stream making sure you have a fast enough reel if you're throwing one of those inline spinners that you have to be able to reel it fast enough that it's compensating for the current and getting the blades to spin, Terry. So having a real high gear ratio reel, something like that, Ken Fierce 2000, uh, is an excellent choice to get out there and utilize, you know, when you're spin fishing the rivers, Terry. All great stuff, Ronnie. We are out of time. I will probably see you very soon, and we'll talk to you here in a couple weeks. All right. Thanks, buddy. You have a good one. That's Ronnie with Fishful Thinker. Just been joined by uh, some people who are going to change the topic here. John, uh, uh, the combine's going on. I know that. Yes, oh, by sir. the way, I got to tell you, I've been listening to both you and Orlando during the week. Great job during the week. Thank film. you. Thank yeah, you it's very good much. to hear yeah. your voices at different times, so cool. people get to know you. Um, we we won't know what they're going to look at in the draft till they get through with free agency, right? That would be my guess. Yeah. But have you gotten any clues from what you're hearing at the combine? Any? As I know Cecil's there, anything leaked out that maybe you can give us a little heads up on? See, you know, Cecil's talked on it. I, I think the meeting with the offensive linemen is tipped us off that they might be interested in maybe looking at that a little higher than we thought they would. So that's kind of where I've got my eye on. What about tight ends? I've heard some talk about tight, tight ends. ends. So uh, there's a couple guys coming out of Iowa, um, and they both impressed today. So that's something. The top guy, I think Hawkinson's his last name, he may not make it to 10. 
I, I've heard Rob Gronkowski comparisons. I think that's a little premature to compare him to the greatest ever do it. But tight end's been a big hole for the Broncos since Julius Thomas left. So I wouldn't mind them looking at a tight end at 10. Well, I'm totally cool with that. The other thing, I think with tight end and offensive line, and Orlando can speak to this when you guys get into it, is that they might be able – this is a pretty good draft for offensive linemen. They might be able to move back and get a couple players. What do you think? Orlando will tell us when he gets on. But that's Orlando and I are both kind of big on the Broncos, maybe moving back, picking up another pick. And if you can f- still fill one of those big voids, which they have a lot of them, I'm totally on board with that. If you can get one of these top tackles, Juwan Taylor, Jonah Williams, I'd take either of those guys later in the draft. Well, I got to get out of here. I'm cutting in you guys' time, but folks, stay tuned. These guys are going to talk about the combine, talk about free agency. You've heard them both during the week this last week, doing a great job. We got John and Orlando coming up right after this timeout with sports on 104.3 The Fan. Sorry about that, guys. I cut in. 